Welcome guys to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and we have a special guest today that is Andrea Valdez from 3D Muscle Journey. So I think most of our listeners will know who Andrea is uh, because you know Eric Helms, you know Alberto Nunez, the whole team have been on the show before. Andrea has actually been on the show uh, way early on. And uh, this time around, we'll have much better internet connection. We'll be able to talk a lot clearer. But for those of you who don't know who Andrea is and anything about her background, and I'll get Andrea to touch on this a little bit. Um, she started off as um, uh, in gymnastics and cheerleading. So uh, it's part of, I, I mean, I'm always envious of your amazing ability to squat and your mobility and stuff and whether or not any of that's kind of attributed to the fact you grew up kind of in those areas, I'm not sure. Um, but she also competed as a natural figure competitor, did a little bit of powerlifting, dabbled in that, um, and has now been going into grid, um, which is kind of a combination of Olympic weightlifting and gymnastic-based movement, which is kind of cool um, and pretty hardcore, very kind of athlete sort of orientated. I know you spend a lot of time training, which is really cool. Um, and of course, you're one of the five natural bodybuilding coaches for 3D Muscle Journey. And I think people will also know, and most of our listeners probably have the Muscle and Strength Pyramids, which um, Andrea actually co-authored with Eric Helms and Andy Morgan. Um, Andy's also been on the podcast. So um, I think our listeners will want to hear what Andrea has to say. Uh, anything you want to add to that, Andrea? No, that was really good. <laughs> like, that was really good. You did it all for me. I like it. No, that's me. He did a great job. Awesome. And well, Andrea and me met um, when 3DMJ came over to the UK. Only once has happened. Um, I'm sure it's kind of <laughs> going to happen in the future again, which would be exciting. Um, and Andrea runs the 3DMJ podcast. So probably most of our listeners listen to that. And if you don't, it'll be linked below. Um, and Andrea is a, a great talker, um, a great speaker, and she has some really, really kind of refreshing and very honest views on the sport um, and areas within kind of weightlifting and things like this. So um, I definitely wanted to get her opinion on some of those. And one of them was about an article that she wrote um, about how muscle growth is slow. And kind of, it was muscle growth is slow, try this instead. And there was just some great points within that article, which I wanted Andrea to kind of just touch on a bit and kind of bring to our audience's ears. So I don't know where you want to start with that, Andrea, if you want to talk about kind of the pains of trying to grow muscle and kind of the lessons you've learned over the time as being a physique competitor um, and what's paid off and what hasn't. Oh man. Okay. That's loaded. But, <laughs> but yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for... I don't know, being so well-researched well, uh, and not necessarily like researching me, but I know you said we met in London, but I know that you had, uh, we online met like years before that. So I know that, um, that, that you've kind of, we were just talking about before we recorded, you've kind of gone through this too, and I know you've just competed, but it takes a, a really long time to get over the fact that this shit's forever, <laughs> you know? And, and I think we get so excited when we, and when I say this shit, like whatever sport is, if it's powerlifting with strength, if it's physique sport with aesthetics, you're so excited and you want it so early. And no matter how hard you try, it's only going to come so fast. So if, um, your eyes aren't open to the other things that you're, you're getting from your sport on the daily, then you're going to be frustrated for a long time or for years or you might quit or whatever. So I think it's just, I think that article came from not a frustration, but a, you know, an overwhelming sense that when we're, when you're on the internet and looking at your little Instagram feed that, that there's, you know, at least 80% of it's people in the first few years, very excited 
posting about the same things over and over and very like, so like maybe 20% it's like, Oh, they're in this for the long haul and you can tell. And they're, they're excited about the grind in the gym every day versus the new PR all the time or versus the new strations in their glute or how I'm looking this week or whatever. So I think that's kind of where, where it, come, where it comes from, but also personally, I mean, it took me year. I mean, I, like I said, or like you said, I started gymnastics when I was like six years old. And I feel like I always had this long view of like athletics as a whole and progress with getting skills. But when it came to, when I started doing the whole physique sports stuff in like 2011, I don't think, I think I was a little bit crazy about it till like 2015. Um, and I think I've just now in the last couple of years kind of come now I'm far enough removed from my last contest prep to kind of understand it all. And that was an attempt at it, I guess. I mean, you touched on so many good points about kind of people getting in kind of, I think it's that mentality when people are in contest prep where everything has to be so precise and on point and they're expecting visual change almost, I mean, towards the end, like quite frequently, like every other day, like you're seeing new lines come in, you're seeing exciting things happen. Um, but when we get into our off seasons, having that kind of mindset can really hold you back. And I've definitely seen it in myself where after my shows, I mean, for too long I don't want to be looking at kind of are my glutes like still like have the, is there still lines in my glutes there's still lines in my like in my triceps and I caught myself a few times after my shows like a good month or so afterwards and I was kind of thinking to myself why am I like why am I taking videos of my physique and why am I doing pose like posing practice and things like this and I've seen other competitors doing posing practice like throughout their off season I'm not necessarily saying that element is wrong or they shouldn't be doing it but I think it can definitely lead people to having a mindset that is very stuck um and kind of I think part of being a bodybuilder and I definitely know Eric Helms is big on this and he spoke about it um he spoke, spoke about it I think when he first came to the UK about and he got quite emotional about it in that you kind of have to he's not Eric Helms the bodybuilder he's Eric Helms like the the husband or um, and all these other elements before bodybuilding and then you kind of just let bodybuilding happen on the on the side I think some people think that that's kind of him being almost lazy and almost like he's not going to see the best results because he's not doing everything into it but I think once you've been doing it for a while you realize actually that's the healthy perspective to have and that's probably going to lead to better results um, when you just kind of get into stuck into that process um is that something you see with yeah. people? yeah 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 and it's we we think optimal i think most people too know that like in, in a typical training program you have rest days you have deloads and like because we know that is better everyone is okay with that but I, I think we forget that there's a, a there's a need for that emotionally in terms of willpower. You know, if if you're treating the world like there, there's a, there's just a certain way you have to treat prep that it will you can't do that for years on end. Like you will burn out, you will binge, you will not put the muscle on that you want, you will become a hermit and hate the rest of your life. You will like there's so many things that, um, like you said, it might seem like it's soft to not, not give it a hundred percent of your attention all the time. And a lot of other sports, it might seem like they are able to do that and we aren't, but it's not that like, it's, that is your job is to learn how to off season, you know? And, um, 
it doesn't seem like that. It's not as glamorous. It's not as sexy. It's not as exciting as prep. Like that, that's the whole thing, right? Is I got addicted to prep for a couple of years. And then when, when you were able to see things, like you said, weekly or toward, you know, at some point every two days, you're hitting a new low or whatever. Like when you, you get those short hits of success over and over. And then it's like, well, what do you do when those don't come anymore? And not only that, there's a period after your show where it's the opposite direction. Um, and like Birdo's real good at this where at least now, right. we just had a podcast come out where I talked to him about his current off season plan or whatever, where he's at, he's somehow adopted this mindset where he's like, hell yeah, two more pounds this week. Like, <laughs> you know, like he's excited to gain. And I, and I've observed that luckily, I mean, I'm, I'm not a like high level bodybuilder. Right? I mean, I'm the only one on the team that's not pro, but, um, because I'm around those guys and, and we have a lot of athletes, I coach pro athletes, right? And because I, I see that as one of the main differences is the people that are, that see this as a career and are the best in this sport, see gaining weight as their job, you know? And that doesn't mean they're getting fat. That doesn't mean that they're binging their face off. It's just that they know if I want to get better next time I'm on stage two, three, five years from now, I do need to eat because I am an athlete and performance matters for muscle growth. And like, they see it that way. And it's, um, yeah, these are just things I'm learning. <laughs> but again, I'm lucky enough to have that, that in with a lot of really, really great physique athletes that it's, since I've become a coach, I feel like, and, and been around the guys and worked with higher caliber athletes, it's made me a better athlete. And I haven't even competed the whole time since I've been coaching prep athletes. So it's been, it's been cool to see. And I know that you're, you've just gone through that too. So yeah, it's it's actually I listened to that interview um, that you did with Berto, and it's actually really interesting to hear and kind of it made me think about my approach this past off season. I mean, this past kind of the the transition out of my show and how mm-hmm. I approached it, and whether at the time I thought I was doing the right thing. And after listening to how Berto approached it and the fact that he's had so much experience with doing it before, I then questioned whether I actually did because. I've got to a point now where I feel very good like and very productive with my lifts and in myself whereas I spent probably too I, I feel like maybe I spent too long getting there and maybe I should have got there a bit sooner um, and maybe I, hang, I hung around at too lower body weight previously to kind of uh, just for the sake of it almost and I think a lot of competitors well maybe not a lot but some competitors especially those who maybe don't see as many improvements as maybe they should they kind of, and I definitely saw this myself. They kind of, and I think you guys spoke about it on your podcast. They they look at the off season as an opportunity to almost eat as much as they can whilst mm-hmm. staying lean or not gaining weight. And almost, I would sometimes see it with myself in that if I increase my calories, but my weight stayed the same for a month, I was like, wow, mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Like I've increased calories and my weight stayed the same. Whereas actually. Uh, if I wanted to get better for bodybuilding, it would be better for the weight to go up and calories to have stayed the same uh, or, well, both to have gone up would have been the optimal approach, I guess. But I think it's hard because contest prep puts your mind so focused on food, on the scale going down, that you almost just want more food and you don't want the scale to go back up because you're scared kind of to gain that weight back again. And I know yourself, you were for a long time tracking quite precisely on my fitness power and things like that and i think it's only fit well it might be a while now where you've kind of transitioned to being a bit looser with that do you want to talk a bit on that and how you kind of got to that point and what kind of 
what you've seen happen? Has it has it all been okay? Have you seen um, any changes within your kind of mentality and your anxiety, maybe anything along those lines? Yeah, um, it it's funny that up until a couple years ago, like I haven't competed. I've been on the stage since 2013, and it wasn't until like 2015 where I stopped um, the daily tracking and weighing and, and all that stuff. But the what's funny is in that two-year window, like 13 to 15, um, I would always defend it because I could track and it was easy. And um, and it, and it I, I don't think it was wrong either because I know like Ian McCarthy has talked about this too. I don't think it was wrong because I honestly – felt more at ease and at peace knowing everything that I was eating or like it would have been psychologically stressful if I didn't do that. It was just like a comfort zone for me. And the only thing to get me out of that, like I said, was, um, kind of transitioning into this whole functional fitness thing, which it had me very, very focused on performance, but it, it was very different. Like I can lift, um, I can lift on whether I'm dieted or not. Like from prep or whatever, like that was never the issue. But when I introduced like these conditioning pieces and these multi workout per day things, I was like for the first time in a really long time being like, Oh, this is what hungry is like. Cause I never, I just shut that off. Um, yeah. I guess cause, cause I'd been so, cause food was always, okay, I have to eat. And I do it in these numbers because that's what I do. Like I was just like so mechanical about yeah. food for so long. Um, and not that I didn't enjoy food or anything like that. I just, I wasn't scared of food, but it was like, it's purpose was like, it was this part of my life that's purpose was for me to control my body weight. That, yeah. that was it. Or to control what I'm doing, you know? And when it ended up, when I ended up pushing myself performance wise to the point where it's like, I need nourishment or I'm going to pass out that I was like, Oh, okay. Like, like, and it was like this slow process. Um, and it was like, even if I track by the time my second workout or something would happen, I was like, okay, screw my fitness pal. Like I know I need like a loaf of bread. <laughs> like I was just like, so that I'm fortunate enough that, that that was a, a like a, a thing that kind of broke the, the mold for me there. And from then on, um, I, I cared so much about my performance that food didn't matter as much. And I don't mean like I ate like an idiot, but yeah. when I was hungry, I ate more. And, um, I think actually I did get a little heavier the first, um, maybe six months of, of doing this. And then it was like everything kind of chilled out and I've been the same body weight for like three, different, like three years, give or take, you know, a few pounds. Mm-hmm. But pretty much, and my, my body composition has changed a lot, but it, it's always like experiences that make things change for me. Like, um, I know I've talked about on the 3D podcast that the only way I was able to even have like weekends of not tracking sometimes is because we went on this big vacation and I didn't gain weight and I didn't have to track. And I was like, oh shit, it doesn't have to be like this every day, you know? And then I was like, okay, but when I'm at home, at least I'll always track. And then it wasn't until this big shift in, in, uh, athletic goals in, in the type of training I was doing where it required more food. And I was like, Oh, so this is what it's like. And what's funny is, um, I know before the podcast, you and I were talking about, I have some injuries that I'm working with and I've dropped down to single workouts per day mm-hmm. and I'm not as hungry again. And I'm noticing that now, like I, there was so many years where it was so like, it doesn't matter if I'm hungry or not. I'm totally like unaware of it just cause I do what the numbers are. Yeah. Um, and so it's been, 
pretty cool to like under like oh my god your body actually works like it's hungry when you eat food <laughs> after five years of not not paying attention to that and as a coach or like I, realizing that on my own right as a coach in in dealing with athletes because I remember how difficult my post contest period was so I've been really. I'm interested in the whole process, but like really um, emotionally attached to people's like exits from season. And it's like my favorite thing to coach people through because I know how hard it can be. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a lot of things that I've been working on with my athletes the past couple of years. Like, and one of the biggest things is like not weighing in so much. Like, um, man, I mean, we might've talked about this on the last one I was on, but, but it's, it's been, um, I don't know, kind of, kind of a, a light bulb for me. It was like, okay, you, like only collecting data when it super matters. Yeah. Um, and so that's like the exit thing is like one of the first things I, I do with the athletes is after you get off stage, you know, we, we don't weigh in for at least a week. And then when we do, we only weigh in on the days that you've hit your numbers, that you got enough sleep, that you ate dinner at a normal time that, you know, and so that might be somewhere between three to five weigh-ins a week as we exit. And then that kind of slows itself down. And then if you're tracking, you know, any, it starts the same way I started, like, when you're out on the weekends or eat out or whatever, mental note, but don't give me your numbers. I don't want them. They're not what we, you know, so we're just going to see how many. So it's just like more so than weaning people. It used to be like we're, we're walking your food up, but now it's like we're actually walking your habits downward right. and that food kind of does its own thing. So no, that was really long. Sorry. No, that's fine. No, it's good. Um, and I know we did speak on it last time where you kind of talked about um, not weighing in after kind of eating out because it's effectively it's like bad data in a sense. It's kind of um, like it, there's no point weighing in because I mean it could be low, it could be high. It's but it's not going to reflect really what your usual eating habits are, and so it's not really going to provide you good data as a coach or as a client. Um, but a point I really like that you touched on was that you basically talked about kind of individualizing this in that tracking isn't necessarily wrong. And I think a lot of people see the goal and I don't know if my opinion is this or not, but I don't necessarily know if the goal should be to always eat to intuition. I don't know if some people can yeah. even get to that point. Um, yeah. And we know, I mean, cause your goals have changed having control of your nutrition. If you are trying to like make the most out of your off seasons and grow as much muscle as possible, potentially is i mean you could make a strong argument for having good control of that because your off season is where you grow if you get into a kind of lazy approach of not really pushing weight up and making sure that you're getting good well dosed out protein feedings and things like this that that could fall off um but i think there's definitely a sense of individualizing that because if your goals aren't as serious as you want to go pro as a bodybuilder or if you've got other commitments in your life that take kind of the the helm of that then you can be a bit looser with things, um, but you have to know yourself. And I think the transition is key because I'm the same. When when I can control things, I control them. Um, and that control provides me a bit more freedom and a bit more kind of, I feel a bit more relaxed when I actually have that control. Mm-hmm. Um, but during holidays and periods where the control I cannot even have, uh, I then can switch off. And I think the key is being able to kind of dial things down. Like you guys always talk about that dimmer switch with flexible dieting. You're not, you're not always kind of, you're not turning it all the way on or all the way off. You're just kind of like making it appropriate to the kind of situation and you as an individual, um, which I think is something that a lot of people don't really remember. Um, they kind of forget the flexible diet, what flexible dieting is meant to mean, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. so 
Yeah, I think that's an important aspect to remember um, when you are especially transitioning out of your show and for a kind of long productive off-season because I think competitors who try and attack their off-seasons the same way as they attack their contest preps can sometimes end up having to compete every year. You see that a lot, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. They feel like they have to be on stage because they kind of, like you said, get addicted to that process. Um, And often their careers can be a bit short-lived because maybe they look worse year to year or they don't do it as well year to year or they just eventually dig themselves into that hole. Um, So I think this is where kind of your sentiment of try this instead um, and focus on these other aspects was just a really refreshing thought. Um, Thanks. I do have a question to lead us on. Um, So where was it? I I, I said, I think we could probably have a good discussion on... Um, how kind of all these elements and the kind of mindset you need um, to go into your kind of off-season kind of obviously we're focusing on nutrition we're focusing on body weight we're focusing on how we're looking um, when we're in our (laughs) when we're looking to go in compete but during Uh our off-seasons when we're trying to build muscle when we're trying to grow what sort of kind of you talked about kind of mindset switches for your clients. What sort of things are you getting them to focus more on? Now they're not focusing on the scale. Now they're focusing on other elements. They're not so much focusing on being very precise with every grain of rice on the scale. They're focusing on other things um, because as bodybuilders, we do have a lot of kind of drive and obsession about things. So we kind of, I think it's good to maybe move these towards other elements. Have you found that with your clients? Yeah, and one of the um, one of the easiest ones, luckily, right, is the whole powerlifting thing. Like um, focusing on strength for a lot of people, that makes a huge difference. <laughs> like um, it's one of the more obvious things, but but trying to get people to realize they are a performance athlete, and that that um, that hopefully for some people takes a different space in their brain. Uh, for me, that wasn't necessarily enough for whatever reason. Like I did the, my last body the season right, right into a year of prepping for my first powerlifting meet and it was fun and it was exciting. Um, and it did help a little, but I was still, um, just putting a bandit on the fact that I wanted to be lean still. So, um, but, but again, I have a lot of athletes where, where that is enough. Um, and then, Another thing that's been useful is if, if powerlifting is not your thing is just re- remembering that like what, what Eric said and what you brought up earlier is that this isn't all you do like this. I, I mean, just a good education and understanding like physiologically, how fast can I do this? All right. Not as fast as I want. Nobody's going to get that shit as fast as they want. So if not, when I'm not doing my job for these, you know, maybe two hours in the gym a day or whatever and eating like a normal human, okay, that's covered. And I cannot literally cannot do anything else. Otherwise I'll either overtrain or, my kids will starve or whatever. Right. So if, if not, then what else can I do? And for some people that's a hobby, um, you know, directing their focus on what are all the things you couldn't do in prep. So maybe that's fixing some broken relationships. Maybe that is taking art classes. Maybe that is doing martial arts. Maybe that for me, that was functional fitness. So I think understanding that this not only this isn't all you do, but unlike other, like there's some other sports where you, you can practice more like very highly skill-based sports, yeah. but with body, it's like you lift and then you wait and then you lift and then you wait. And while you're waiting, um, are you a whole person or are you just sitting thinking about your next session, which not that it's bad to think about your next session, but if that's all you're doing, it's going to be really hard to, um, again, to like, 
have room for growth in other areas, I guess, right? Because we, unfortunately, right, even the, it's pretty rare that unless you're winning the Olympia, you're not going to like fund your life on bodybuilding. So what are other things in your life that you can create for yourself? Um, you know, getting better at work and all, all that good stuff. But I think having some type of physical outlet and then creating other goals for yourself would be top priority. And then I think um, recognizing all the places you can improve still inside the gym is also a fun one for me. Like, um, it's a, it's a time to work on form. It's a time to, um, I don't know, learn different tracking methods for your accessories. It's like, there's a lot of things you can play with if you want to within the same bodybuilding program or even within the same powerlifting program, um, either by yourself or with your coach that there, there's still a lot of things that you can work on. They're just not as obvious and just not as publicly recognizable. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think I have another, another article on a 3d site. That's like 38 ways to make athletic 38 ways to make athletic progress every day. And it's just a bunch of shit like that. Like, are you, um, you know, and, and maybe see it as your job to off season. Well, like in my, you know, you can not play games, but like you can test yourself. Like if I don't track for a week, what happens? Mm-hmm journal about, okay, this is what happened that I didn't like this. All right, let me, um, God work on sleeping better. How do I, how do I get my habits better? You know, okay. My supplement, I keep forgetting to take my creatine. Can I do it 28 out of 30 days this month? Like there's a billion things you can do if you're really understanding that bodybuilding, like I'm like going to contradict myself. I know I said like, okay, there's only so much you can do in the gym and out, but again, the the non-obvious things, could be something that keep you occupied and excited about it yeah. um, 24-7. So, yeah. yeah. No, I think the points you made were really good in terms of, I mean, focusing on performance. I, I always say actually this to uh, a lot of my clients when they're going through their later stages of uh, contest prep. I'm kind of like, they get a bit disheartened. Sometimes they're losing strength. And I'm like, this is kind of acute losses of strength. We're not going to be chronically yeah. like, down in this gutter. There, there are reasons we're weak and we know why. Right now, we are a physique athlete. Like, very, like, in terms of specificity, you're going to step on stage in like a month's time. So, we're no longer a kind of a performance athlete. That's just not what we're about. Whereas, when we transition out, you then have that mindset switch towards kind of performance. And I think that's a really good thing because. I mean, just everything feels better. Like you get that pump back. You you can now yeah. recover. Joints feel good. Squatting, like deadlifting, they all feel nice and productive again. Um, and you start seeing, you start filling out clothes. All of those elements are definitely positives to take on board. And the fact is, you are also eating more. You can be more flexible with your food, and you can be more social. You can go and have those mm-hmm. meals out with your loved ones and your girlfriend and things. And you spoke on the 3DMJ podcast about kind of does bodybuilding make you lonely? And uh, me and Pascal mm. also spoke about that. And I definitely think it can if you let it, um, but it can also make you not lonely at all. It can just be an additive, like another hobby, like other people have their own hobbies. I um, mean, you can make mm-hmm. kind of keep those relationships, which are really important because there are times where all of us, and Andrea, you were talking about this when we were off air, kind of being injured, and you can't put as much time into the gym. So you have more time for other things. And if you don't have anything else in your life apart from the gym, then you're you're, you're kind of at a lost cause. So I think yeah. it's great to have these other goals. Um, and there are uh, so many things within your off-season that you can make sure to tick and make sure you're having a productive off-season. Because at the heart of it, bodybuilding is quite boring and basic. You need <laughs> yeah. to progressively overload um, on these movements and get bigger and stronger and eat enough. Um, but you can, within that, use your kind of paintbrush 
try different things. Maybe you want to try a bit higher carb. You want to try low fat. You want to try higher fat, mm-hmm. low, low carb. Just see how you respond to things. And I think that's exactly what the off season should be used for. So I think that was some great comments and something I want to draw upon from your Twitter feed, actually, because I, I noticed you make some really nice, you quote some really great quotes and you have even some of your own. And one of them that really resonated with me and I kind of wanted to hear you expand on it a little bit was um, maybe you don't need to try harder. Sometimes you need to have to try differently. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to hear kind of where did that come from? What spurred that post? Or maybe it's something that you've kind of thought over time. Um, and then maybe we can kind of delve into some scenarios where I think people dig themselves into a hole where that probably wasn't the, the thing they should have been doing. Yeah, it's that, um, it, it brings to mind a couple of things. Because when you were talking earlier, um, it's it's funny how it's like it's a paradox right like for for bodybuilding like like you said it's so basic but then we said there's all these other things and i said you only can do this for two hours a day but it's like well actually you can do all these other things um and you being like we're a physique athlete now but then performance it's like there's there's these paradoxes that we have to let's say we have to but again in in observation of elite athletes in, in any sport right because i just love the shit out of sports and and the whole like athletic idea in general it, it's that you're able to carry these these two opposing views at the same time mm-hmm. so like yes it's basic i have a foundation am i knocking these things out and then within that what are all these things i can play with that don't i mean they matter but they don't matter like that much to where it's going to knock out my foundation but you know all that stuff and and so I think playing and, and trying and tweaking is, is always really good. Um, but I think that, I don't know if you noticed too, my Twitter feed repeats itself because it's like literally for everyone, but it's also like for me. So I have this thing that's like, it's like on shuffle, but it's, nice. um, <laughs> yeah. So, but with, with that particular, it, it, it reminds me that there's, there's times when I'm like pig headed and stubborn and I'm going to make this work. And then sometimes it's like, but fucking why and do something else. And, or, um, you know, and those are, those are the times when like, it feels like a release and then everything gets really easy. It's not all the time. Shit gets hard in every area of life sometimes, but sometimes when you feel like you're just banging your head against the wall over and over and over, it's like, okay, maybe this isn't it. Like, why am I not taking this feedback and, and doing something with it? Um, and I guess in, in terms of athletics, like, you know, the, the off season, where it was like I, I would try and try to control my eating to the point where my body weight was controlled and I'm making progress in the gym. So I would eat a little more and then my body would move and I'd be kind of pissed off and I'd go back to normal. Okay, so I'm going to train a little harder and then I'd fuck up some part of my body and then, okay, back off. So it was like I, I'd always try to make this perfect trifecta work and and this perfect balance of body weight and training and aesthetics. And it's like when I finally let go of the aesthetic goal, it's hard, you know, when it was like, okay, this isn't the most, this isn't an equal important part. It's actually less important than the other two. Then it all actually over the next like year or two played out really well for me. But it was like, I was just trying hard. Like I said, harder and harder and harder. And it's like, no, just different. Just do something different and, and have faith in it too. Cause everything's reversible. And I think we forget that. Yeah. And if you, if you eat that shitty meal and you wake up bloated, like it, it goes away in a couple of days, like calm down, you know? So, I don't know. That's where that all came from, I guess. I no, I, I mean... But it, it happens over and over in life, though. No, it does. And I think yeah. I, the reason I really like it is because I see it with myself. I see it with a lot of bodybuilders because we, we are hard workers. We, we love yeah. grinding. We love pushing hard. But sometimes that isn't the solution. Um, and almost, 
I think you should try hard to make things as easy as possible because Ooh, things yeah. are going to be hard at some point. Like you just are guaranteed contest prep is going to get hard. Like if you're going to get stage level of leanness, you, it's, there's no doubt it's going to be hard. But why make it harder than necessary? Only make it as hard as you need to. So I think some people end up trying to make it it's almost the easier option for them is to make it yes. harder but actually the harder thing is to pull back just like i think with training we can talk about it with deloads like people yeah. hate doing deloads but sometimes the deload actually allows you to train harder in future same with diet breaks these sort of things people are very tempted to skip them put them away because that short-term mindset kind of holds them back a little bit and that's why it really resonated with me and actually, because you talked about how your Twitter feed repeats itself, and I think I've, I have noticed this, you may have even said it before. There, I mm -hmm. think there was a quote I got from you, and this is going to sound really silly if it's not, um, but okay. I think it was from uh, Dr. Zeus, and it was, those that matter mm -hmm. don't that mind, was mine. and uh, those that don't matter, those that matter don't mind, those that don't matter mind. Or it might have been the other those way around. That, those that mind don't matter and those that matter don't mind. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, uh, that was on my feet. Um, maybe did I take it off? I don't know. But um, yeah, that's another note because it's all like a note to self thing. It's like, yeah, if uh, the people that really, really super care about you and that you need in your life, whatever choice you make, whatever dip you get yourself into, whatever <laughs> social isolation a prep can bring, if you're, if you care about that relationship and you, you communicate how hard it's going to be and they understand or whatever, they're going to be there at the end. Right. So it's like, there's that. And then on, on the opposite end, like if someone's giving you shit for gaining weight, five pounds, two weeks after your show, I'm like, Oh, she's getting fat. Cause I already did that on YouTube. Oh, she, you know, cause I, I remember I, I got with a brains and I've been together almost five years, but we got together during my last prep yeah. and Everyone, oh, she got a boyfriend and got fat. I'm like, really? You know, but again, those people don't matter. So no. I don't give a shit. You know, I did give a shit, but it's, and it was hard, but that's like a note to self. Yeah, that, I don't know if that has to do with prep, but it's, uh, there's this circle of people who I give a shit about has gotten smaller. And the negative shit tends to go out of my life a little better when I just don't care. It doesn't actually leave, but I just don't care. Um, because those people don't matter. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. No, I think the reason I really liked it, and I think, <laughs> I, I think people on listening will appreciate it at least because I think we have a lot of listeners who do post on social media, mm -hmm. kind of whether it's their physique, whether it's their training, whether they're a coach or not. Um, and people are negative. You get those negative people, the quote-unquote haters. Um, and I think whenever I hear this quote, it just makes me feel so much... It, it makes me think about the people that I care about and the people I care see, like, like, like when I see Eric Helms, like a video of mine or something, I'm like, that means so much more than a negative yeah. comment. Like that negative comment doesn't like, it, it shouldn't matter because they, it doesn't matter really. Um, so I just think it's a nice thing for a lot of maybe more so our younger audience um, to hear because I think it will make them realize that kind of just be themselves and um, really kind of, take care of their relationships it's not a, like mm -hmm. a, a way to block people out um but it's it's a nice kind of yeah i just thought it was a good quote um yeah. so i don't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on in terms of kind of 
mindset in the off season and making the most out of it and kind of muscle growth being slow. Um, otherwise, we can jump towards some of the questions we got from um, our, my Facebook group. Um, if you want to sure. get to those. Cool. Yeah, let's do um, it. I think you enjoy these. So okay. <laughs> the first one is from Peter and he asked, um, because yesterday and we're recording this the day after International Women's Day, um, so he said, what adversities or challenges have you seen or come up against as a woman in the fitness industry? And how are you slash did you overcome slash overcoming them? Yeah, I get asked this a lot and I don't think my answer is what people um, expect because I know that this isn't the same for everybody, but I've never felt like I was, like being a female was it ever a disadvantage, if anything, it was an advantage. Um, so globally, I think a lot of women, like I, I know of, and I hear of a lot of women that, that do feel a little bit, um, like this isn't their place or, um, but I've just never felt, I don't know. I've never felt that way. And I don't know if it's because, um, it's a, I don't know. I work with such great guys. I work with, you know, the only, the only time I ever felt I guess inadequate was not because of my gender. It was because when I was coming on board as a 3D coach, I was the only of a lot of things. Right? I was, I'm the only, like I said earlier, I'm the only one that's not a pro in my um, in my bodybuilding career. I am at the time, especially like I, I've my physique's changed a lot the last couple of years. But at the time, I was in that rut, and I, I didn't feel like I looked the part really right. well. I wasn't as famous as Birdo and them. Um, I, I just, there was a lot of insecurity in that area of my life and not really before, not really after and never with the guys, like the, the four men I work with are fucking incredible. And they've been my friends and heroes for, for a long time. And they've, they worked with me through that stage, but, um, it was never because I'm a girl. Now I did for a little bit until the podcast really took off. I would worry that male athletes who were assigned to me would be like, damn, you know, like I have the girl coach, but I don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> but I, but I did. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was never like, I feel unworthy. It was always like externally, like, what does the internet think about yeah. my dumbass being the new coach? Or what does this male athlete think about the girl being his thing? But again, I, if, if I were to say how I overcame that, or I was just gained more experience and the podcast has helped a lot. Yeah. I think because people didn't really know who I was. And so when they're, you know, I could imagine if I was a dude un undergoing this very seemingly masculine sport and this undertaking of looking the shreds and my coach is like this little girl. Like, I don't, I don't know. But again, I don't feel that way anymore. And I guess the overcoming was just putting my head down and doing the best job I could do. Yeah, I think... I, I can relate to that in that I, I don't know if it's the right term for it, but kind of like imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Kind of you yeah, feel like absolutely. a bit of a, an imposter, and I think I felt like that for a little bit in terms of kind of when I was trying to put out informative content and kind of put myself out there, put videos of myself, my physique. Mm -hmm. and I felt a bit like I'm not a pro bodybuilder. I haven't got the best kind of most muscular physique. I'm not the most shredded, and it kind of put me off. But I think what helped me I think is also what helped you was the podcast but more so talking to like Mike Isretel also Eric kind of more on a one-to-one -one level and just realizing like 
they're normal people too um they mm-hmm. respect my opinion and if they respect my opinion that's really all that matters kind of if they respect it then i mean a larger audience should as well and i think the yeah. fact you've got those four guys who all kind of sing your praises like that should be a, enough I confidence that. i think um but that was i'm really but glad it wasn't it wasn't for a long time i was like oh god you know like i felt really out of my league but um I understand your imposter syndrome too, because I think, um, a lot of us, I say us, but like people coming up in the fitness industry assume like, if I'm not for Erica picking on, if I'm not Eric Helms and don't know all that shit, then I'm never going to be good. Yeah. And it took me a while to realize, or not I say a while, but it was actually before I came on, but like I knew from my previous history, I know I'm a good coach. Like, um, I mean, I worked with gymnasts for like a decade before bodybuilding. I know it's a different sport, but I know, I know that the skill of coaching does not rely on whether I can repeat facts and numbers. And, and I think it's a, it's a real big fallacy of the fitness industry of like, can this person give me direct answers and solve my problem is not the same as can this person coach me through a prep. And I think as a whole, we, the industry is understanding that better, or maybe just our niche of natural bodybuilding as we've grown up in it. But for a while, um, you know, when I was, when I was, I say younger, but when I was trying to learn about bodybuilding and do it on my own, it was always like, where are the articles that tell me how much I should be eating and what time I should do it. And, uh, that can tell me what the research said, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you that works for a little bit but then when you realize like oh this problem is actually my brain and the fact that i can't do i can't get through this thing or like emotionally i can't get through this thing and then it's like you you appreciate the nuances and you understand how to get yourself and other people through it better has nothing to do with you quoting the study that came out last week and and that was um and again, I think that's something that the podcast has helped all of us with is, de- and I say us like 3d delivering the message of like every single one of these shows is one to two hours of a conversation because that's what coaching is, is the yes. conversations. And I was always, um, again, scared if someone would ask me a question and I didn't have the quick rebuttal with the citation like Eric does, you know, so yeah, yeah. imposter syndrome is definitely <laughs> a thing that I felt. I love that because I think that's, something a lot of coaches will need to hear and to realize we aren't researchers we are coaches and mm-hmm. that is like maybe a researcher can't actually coach someone and we aren't dealing with machines that there's precise inputs and outputs that just give a direct result there's so many things there's environment and kind of everyone's got a different environment and it just makes everything so much more complicated different histories backgrounds yeah. where they've come from um and it's it is difficult because it's kind of sometimes you feel like you you do need to provide those facts those figures and things and you're like why would anyone come to you as a coach as opposed to like eric helms who knows so much stuff but i mean eric helms can only coach so many people but there's also the <laughs> fact that he might not be the right coach for you um i'm sure he can coach a lot of people very very well um and we all love eric but there are kind of yeah and he'd be the first to say that that yeah. you know he's not a perfect fit for everybody so yeah and he was and i think it's really great that he came out with the kind of i think he said i think it was like the five qualities for to be a good mm-hmm. coach and the kind of knowledge and fact thing was like number three or something and the first points were very much down to kind of how can you relate to people are you actually a people person uh, like being able to read emotions all of those elements uh, which i think are very important and 
um, I think I, I realized where imposter syndrome came because one of the other questions was um, when you first started with UDMJ, did you feel kind of that imposter syndrome? Yeah. Um, and part of that question, so you spoke about it and then he did also ask kind of what, ex from that experience, what would you pass on to others? Kind of what, uh, apart from kind of the confidence that the team gave you, is there anything else that you could draw upon from that experience that kind of helped you? Um, this might be the try differently thing. Like it, it might be the fact that, okay, like realizing, okay, I have a good foundational knowledge. I understand this and I'm a good coach. Okay. Got that. But then like, um, I can't, <laughs> I can't just sit here and put out the information. I mean, I, I could, I could be like, all right, let me look up all these studies and make a very informative article. But it was like, understanding where where my strengths were yes. and and showcasing that and it wasn't even like really on purpose but i think if anything that the guys allow it right and it was just um finding my, my place in in the world as far as where can i help the team which therefore helps me which therefore will will, will practice me out of this feeling and in um i think the the podcast was a really big deal for all of us, I think, but especially me because I like used my, my newbie, whatever to, um, to help all of us in, in the best way that I could. And that was like, yes, the guys made YouTube videos at the time. Yes. Eric would come up with this occasional once a year epic series. <laughs> right. And yeah, you know, and yes, they have blogs and all this stuff, but like knowing them on a personal level, and knowing all the best shit I've gotten from them for the years of my life was our conversations over dinner or at yes. backstage at a show or like there's so much more. And I'm like, okay, if I'm not in a, in a comfortable position to be like, this is what I think. What I could do is have conversations because I like talking and being like, what do you guys think? And then give, you know, bouncing that back and forth. I mean, I think everyone does that with their own podcast or whatever, but I think it was important from the get go with me. And I didn't even want to be the host. They actually said like you should, but then I was like, okay, this is going to be good because it connects us on a team level. Um, it's a place where I can provide value to my four incredible teammates who have already given me so much is like, give them a, you know, and, um, and it over time gave me a place where people half gave a shit about what I had to say. And I didn't feel so, so dumb. I still feel dumb a lot of the time. Don't get me wrong. Like, and I think that's one thing is like, it's not like it's completely over. Um, sometimes when I'm, I'm guests on people's podcasts that don't know me as well as you, they'll ask me questions and I'm like, I don't know. I'd have to look it up because that's what I do in my, you know I mean? I get a report from my athlete and I can generally tell them what I think yeah. as far as coaching. But if they ask me something, I don't know. I know how to research and look it up. Yeah. But when it's on a podcast, I'm like, uh, you don't know me, huh? Cause I'm not Eric, you know? And, and so I do still feel like stupid sometimes, but it, I think that again, that's a whole try differently. Like, okay, I can't shove myself onto people and be like, yeah, see, these guys think I'm great, but I can highlight them while using my skill set of not never shutting the fuck up, hopefully. And, um, it's, I don't know, it's helped a lot, but that's all I, that's all I can do. Right. Is knowing like where I fit. That's all I there's the best use of, of my skills at the time that have over time helped me to feel like I belong a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But of course I couldn't do it without the guy's support. Um, I think the, the key thing I took from that is kind of knowing your strengths 
and, yeah. and also being honest about it because I think a lot of us um, or a lot of coaches can sometimes they try and fill someone else's shoes that isn't their own and they then yeah. try and come out with smart stuff and it's kind of half of it's maybe correct half of it's not so correct half of it's a bit misunderstood and it ends up them not really feeling confident about it and I yeah. am always along the thought of that whenever we put something out as kind of revive stronger that I should feel confident about what I'm putting out I should be able to understand most of it at least um mm -hmm. at, at, at absolute least most of it if not all of it so um I think that's something very important to take away um so another yeah. question we've got on to is from another actually uh no from Fabian um who you might know um he is coached by um the Godfather, so he's coached Jeff. by Jeff Alberts. Yeah, <laughs> um, so he asked, How do you deal with clients? and he said, In brackets, girls. So let's specify this to girls or females that want to lose weight but are already on kind of a thousand, 1200 calories, so a low intake, um, and they want to gain muscle. Um, would you try and ramp up their calories slowly so they gain weight? Um, I kind of want to, it's a long one and it's not particularly well written. Um, so I think it's kind of females who are on low calories who are maybe a bit afraid of kind of weight gain, but they kind of need to. Is there any methods you found to kind of get the most out of them um, and kind of convincing them? I know we kind of already spoke on this a little bit. Yeah, so it, it depends on why that person is that way. So I think... With me, the, the most important thing is I won't start an athlete without a Skype, again, because I know my strengths. <laughs> um, I, I don't have a canned answer for that, but I do. I would talk to the person and, and see if this is even a problem, and if it is, why is it a problem? So, for instance, if someone, maybe this female isn't eating a lot because she thinks she's training hard because she's but she's not like maybe she's doing, you know, the, the bajillion rep workout and no heavy lifts. Um, so maybe she really isn't that hungry. Maybe this is very new to her, you know, so there, there's that. And, but there's also the, you know, the girl who really is pretty jacked and is afraid to get unlean and actually is having emotional problems with this. Like I would treat that very differently. So it's like, are they actually under eating to the point where it's shooting them in the foot? Do they just not know better? Mm -hmm. Um, do they know better, but are coming to me because they don't know how to get themselves out of this rut. They can't coach themselves out of it. I've been in that position. So I can't give a straight answer, but I think it's important to, to consider how this person got there and then, okay. So, so this is their situation. I fully understand it now. And then it's like, if there is fear associated with eating or, and or weight gain, where's that fear stemming from? And how do I, how do I meet them in the middle to make, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe oh, they're scared to get bulky versus scared to get fat. Okay. So like, how do we talk to them about this week after week? to get them to kind of buy into what I'm saying. Do I need to maybe, um, do they not believe me at all? Do I need to send them some articles and videos as assignments and be like, what do you think about that? Or do I need to um, just say, how much do you trust me? Oh, a lot. Okay, we're going to do this. Do you, can I get a six-month investment from you of not feeling amazing? And then we'll go ahead and do that diet if you want, like bargaining or whatever, right? But it's there's no straight answer to it, but I think we need to understand where they are how uncomfortable you can make them and then 
being monitoring them very closely to where you don't throw them over the edge because I think that that's really common is someone can tell you I'm real comfortable with this but then three weeks in they're actually not but they don't want to disappoint you so they actually like won't tell you so there, there there's a lot of moving pieces there but I think um the understanding that there's not an answer for that you know that, that you got to find it depending yeah. on the person I, I really like that response because um, I've had it with clients before with females who kind of, um, they're kind of stuck in that rut where they're on low calories, they're not losing weight and they don't know what to do and they come to you for fat loss and you're kind of like, mm, we, you kind of have to earn this. And I think the yeah. element that you touched on that I found helped me was just getting their trust. They've come to you because they trust you. And so kind of it's literally that moment of, in a, if you're thinking, if you know the movie Aladdin, it's kind of like, do you trust me? Like, come on, <laughs> come on my flying carpet and we're going, we'll get some fat loss in, in future. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, I think that element of trust is so important. And then like you said, knowing the individual, can we ramp things up slowly, fast, or um, what's best for them? And kind of, yeah, almost hand-holding that, that, pro- that process. Um, but yeah. knowing there's kind of light at the end of the tunnel. So. Um, and what that's they're true. doing isn't working. So <laughs> that's always yeah. a, a good one to throw out. Uh, yeah. So another question that we've had come through was uh, from Justine Forbes. She said, do you gain slash lose fat in different places with subsequent mass and cut phases? So I don't know if you want to answer that specifically to yourself. If you've noticed kind of after you've cut down and then maybe after when you competed, do you gain fat in different areas? Have you seen kind of fat redistribute after a certain period yes. of time? <laughs> Personally, yes. I don't know. Um, and we've, we as a team talk about that a lot and have seen that with our athletes. Yeah. But I don't know of any like literature or, you know, again, being, being honest, I don't, I don't know if that's like a legit like scientifically proven thing. But anecdotally, I know the five of us uh, 3D coaches have talked about it. That, that that is a thing um and personally i in in my whole life including now right i hold my weight in, my, in the middle most of the time like my arms and legs stay fairly lean up until about mid thigh and then um actually no my like i you know how most girls have like wider hips and yeah. i have a like, dude bod like i'm just like a stick <laughs> except <laughs> except um the like, uh, the last two when i come out of diets i'll get little like butt fat like little saddlebags I know I'm like exaggerating because it's on my body, but like, that's how I feel like usually my weight holds in my stomach, but on the way out, I have a video on YouTube too of my last thing where I'm like squeezing like <laughs> my saddlebags that are like maybe two pounds each or whatever, but it's still, it, it took a while for that to kind of settle down. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's something that we commonly see. That's my personal place. Um, and then it always seems like it comes on like squishier too like you can weigh the same from three months out of your show to six months out of your show but i think you'll probably look different you'll look a lot harder things just kind of settle down i don't that's related to stress yeah you're nodding your head like you experienced that too like it feels real jelly at first and then it like chills out yeah i think that happens in off seasons just generally kind of you could be 180 but then after a few months you might still be 180 but it's like a harder like it just yeah i think actually even Berta might have called like said it's there's no better yeah. term than kind of hardening you just kind of harden up yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah. I, so I'm, i think it's i find comfort in that sometimes i'm like what is this weird shit i'm like yeah it'll be all right like we'll, we'll examine it again in three months usually three months later it's like oh okay that's not bad 
Yeah, I think uh, I don't think there is any particular literature on it anyway. Um, from what I've heard, other kind of guests on the show talk when they've talked about it. So, and you've obviously yeah. discussed it with three um, D. So, yeah, we've <laughs> I, I've seen it with myself. I've seen it with clients. Loads of people have experienced it. Yeah, um, I don't think there's. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know how much kind of you can use that kind of information. Um, anyway, on to the yeah. next question, if that's okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Danny has asked, Andra, can you speak to the psychology of adherence in regards to physique athletes? Specifically, you mention a place where you go mentally. Can this be cultivated? Your thoughts on this subject? Uh, okay. Uh, like being able to adhere? Is that what he means? Like at, or says, lack of adherence or convincing yourself on adherence? Sorry, can you repeat that part about adherence? <laughs> well, he said... Uh, did you talk about a place that you go mentally? Because he kind of touched on, you mentioned it. Uh, Do you remember talking about a place that you go? Maybe. I don't I don't know if there's like a specific place, uh, but I think there's like one thing that I know differs between me and like, I think say Jeff on the podcast a lot. Like we'll talk about how, like you, you mentioned earlier, that he has a, a real good dimmer switch. I have like on off. Right. So um, maybe that's what he's talking about in in the fact that like when it's like okay prep starts this day then like that's when prep starts and and that's just fucking it in my brain um do you think that's what he's talking about i don't know i'm not sure um, okay well go did, with that he said the psychology of adherence in regards to physique athletes um obviously we talked about that kind of in your off season and whether there you can talk about the psychology of adherence during your contest prep yeah. Well, I, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't speak to the, the literature and like the, these are things that, 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 that they say you should do. But what I, um, with me and adherence, like I said, I just, I know it's go time and when I just don't see it any other way for those, whatever amount of weeks or months, like I don't, I don't question it. I, I, um, maybe it's easy for me to like, because I have a coach. Like, I think that always makes it easy is yeah. like this person said to do this. Therefore I'm, I'm not, I think that that definitely, um, when I look at my 2011 prep by myself versus my 20, 2013 with, with Birdo, it was, I never had adherence issues, but I would change my plan a lot on my own. Right. And with Bert, it, uh, with a coach, it's, I think it made it 10 times easier to follow through with everything because it was like, this is my assignment and I have to do these things. And sometimes simplifying it would help a lot too. Um, Cause you think like, well, did I do this? And it's like, no, did I do the training I was supposed to do today? Did I hit my macros? Then shh, that's it. That's it. You did your two things, you know? Um, and, and so I don't know. I never saw it any other way. Um, mm -hmm. As far as maybe, I don't think anyone who decides to go under a prep doesn't love the gym. So I don't think going to the gym would be the adherence issue or getting your training done, but I'm assuming that would be nutritionally. I'm making a lot of assumptions on this. And then in, in that case, I just have a lot of, there's a lot of things that I know you guys are writing about you and Jacob about like tactically, how do I oh, stave yeah. off hunger? How do I stave off hunger? And there's a lot of tactics there, which I'm sure y'all could go and I'm sure Revive Stronger probably has a few articles on it. Um, and if not, there's a book on it soon, <laughs> but then there's also like, like the, the strategies of like, um, I don't know. I always tell myself like, like it's just, it's, it's a few hours. Like there's people starving, like people yeah. eat for, don't Respect. eat for days. 
like I can, I can do this. This is not a problem. Like this is temporary. Um, I'm going to eat again in so many hours, like go make yourself busy. Shut up. Like, I don't know. I'm pretty good at like cutting myself off in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if the answer is any of it. No, I think, I think it it was a very open question. So an open answer is totally appropriate. And (laughs) I think there's something you're good at is kind of having that perspective and keeping that perspective is so so important when you're in prep it's like like you said there's people going through harder worse things like you're and you're choosing to do this like keep that in mind like you can choose not to do it um so make that choice and i think and actually this will touch on the last question as well like having a good reason for why you're getting into it um i think that's a good thing because then you can always come back to kind of your why like why are you doing it because you want to prove something to yourself or whatever it might be. Um, but Theodore Basha actually asked, um, and this will be our last question was okay. what triggered you to get into kind of the sport of physique competitive, like physique sports in the first place. Um, he kind of touched on a lot of females seem to have like a bit of a screwed up idea about like what looks bulky and all of these sort of concepts. And he just wondered why, what made you want to get into it? What was your why, I guess. Um, it was it was the hardest thing I could do at the time, or I could think of doing at the time. So that says a lot I, about you. <laughs> <laughs> like athletically, the hardest thing I could think of doing, um, because, like you said, I, I I did gymnastics and I cheered all the way through college. And actually, um, I was in grad school. It's like twenty six, twenty four, five, six years old, or something like that. And even though my eligibility as a as a competitive cheerleader at school like ran up in undergrad, I was a there was a luckily within like an hour of where I lived and where I was in grad school, there was a adult cheerleading squad competitively. So I was still competing in something up until I was like mid twenties. And, and then that was over. And, and I, I was in grad school for exercise physiology. So I was really studying this like on a, on a physiological level and I was getting real like interested and I was, um, and so I was doing different things in the weight room. Like at the time I was still like a, because I loved flipping, I, was, I would I would love boot camps. I loved running. I loved like I just loved moving, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then it was like this whole like actual physiology of muscle growth that I was learning about. And then I was actually teaching classes. Uh, like in grad school, I had to teach, and they were in the gym. And I was uh, I would teach individual fitness next to the guys that were teaching weightlifting. And I started lifting with those guys. And even though I had this athletic background, I could see like little bitty shoulders coming in and, you know, like I was seeing visible changes for the first time in a long time. Um, and it was exciting. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was also in a luck in a fortunate enough that one of my, one of the PhD students who's now a professor, uh, Chris Foss, Dr. Chris Foss, he was uh, a client of Lee Norton's and I was, Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I saw him go through being like this, I mean, he's giant anyways, but I think he he's probably close to 200 pounds on stage. I don't know. He's a big dude, wow. but he was like from a giant thick power lifter to like a shredded pro. He can actually, he completed with, um, that year with Berto and Jeff on stage. And I didn't know who they were yet. How uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and it was like, I saw that and I was just like getting real interested in stuff. And so then he, when I heard that Chris's coach was the guy that I saw on bodybuilding.com too, was Lane, you know? And so it was like this whole like year of like, oh, this is so cool. I want to do it. Um, and then I, I actually went into Chris's office and I was like, tell me everything you know about this figure stuff. And he was like, tell me all this great stuff. Da, da, da. And you know, 
there, I'm doing this other show in October and then you should totally do next year. And I'm like, wait, there's one in October. And this was like 12 weeks from now. And I barely just started like, getting most of it. And I was like, I'm going to do this show. And so I did it. And then it was like, whatever from there. But it was just like this weird, um, like frenzy of learning and curiosity and like, I can do it. And, um, I get real stupid like that where I'm like, I fucking decided. So we're doing it. And it was like a total disaster, starvation prep, like ruined my life, <laughs> but the best thing ever. Right. Cause I wouldn't be here without it. So, um, I just wanted to compete in something that seemed really, really hard. That was it. And then I got obsessed and then you get the attention from looking different. And then it's like, and that's the story from there. <laughs> no, I, I think that's fair enough. I think I've heard that before, that slight story before, but it, yeah, it's, it's cool how, it's a small world natural bodybuilding yeah. when you think about it how all of that can happen in such a small time frame but um so that is the last question i thought have for you andrea um thank you so much for coming on and having a chat i really appreciate yeah. it um i want to make sure everyone can kind of find more about you i know we kind of mentioned it you have your own podcast the 3d podcast um and you have your own website obviously are these the best places people can catch you yeah yeah for sure um so my personal site's andrewvaldez.com it's just things I collect. It's, it's, uh, and my podcast is probably some people that your listeners might know, but we don't, we don't talk about fitness necessarily. Sometimes we do. We just, I just talk to my friends and then uh, 3dmusclejourney.com is more. So I think what your listeners would be stoked to uh, read more about. We have a weekly podcast. Like you said, we, uh, each of the coaches write at least one article there per month, a like blog article. And then we also have the 3dmj vault, which is, like a, which is 3dmjvault.com, a collection of like little video courses. Some are free, some are paid, uh, or paid, but you can get at least part of all of them for free. Um, and we release something there about every month or so too. So those are our sites. Yeah. I'll make sure they're all linked below and I definitely recommend checking those out. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, I just appreciate you coming on and I appreciate all the listeners and the questions coming in. So cheers guys. We'll catch you soon. Yeah. Thanks guys.